The Midwest Crime Files is an unscripted true crimes podcast. In it, we discuss heinous crimes and how they are committed. Viewer discretion is advised. Welcome to the Midwest Crime Files. I'm your host, Gina. And I'm Chris. We're here to tell you the stories of small towns and the heinous crimes that changed them forever. Welcome back to another regularly scheduled episode. Uh, it feels good that we've finally been consistent with it. Right. Even though our life has been complete nuttle shambles right now. <laughs> like, But we're consistent with the podcast. That makes me feel good. It gives me that dopamine hit that i need in my brain to make me feel better and per chris's request we're continuing with our serial killer theme yes i'm so thank you like <laughs> thank you for giving a, a lonely lonely man just a little bit of, a little bit of solace oh, and Lord. a little bit of it makes me feel good even though i can't write the damn things but <laughs> well before we get started, I do want to give a shout out to our newest Patreon supporter, Gwen. Thank you so much, Gwen. Thank for you, being Gwen. Supporter. Um, this episode is probably going to elicit quite the response from you, Chris. Um, this is the story, and you know, a lot of times I don't put the serial killer or the killer's name in the title, but this really, truly is focused more on the killer than it is on the victims and it's not for lack of of trying or lack of trying to find things about the victims it's more just the way the story is best told um and so this is called don't let me out serial killer david most so before we get started chris let me ask you something do you think people are born evil or do you think that parents create monsters i think it's it can be both to be honest, all honestly, I think that either or could be the reason for a monster. Do you think it's possible that some people want to do the right thing but can't fight their compulsion to hurt others even if they know it's wrong? I think that, yeah. I, yeah. I mean, if there's a mental disorder like underlying or something like that, yeah, I can, I can definitely see that. Well, this is the story of a serial killer who unbelievably was given not just one extra chance, but two, despite his own pleas to stay incarcerated. This should be interesting. Yes. This is a serial killer unlike any of the other ones that we have covered. The system failed, giving David Moss repeated opportunities to commit heinous murders. David Edward Most was born in Connellsville, Pennsylvania on April 5th, 1954. He was the second oldest of four children, which included two sisters and a younger brother. His parents divor divorced early in his childhood, and his father pretty much abandoned the family when he was seven years old. So we've seen that before, right? Where abandonment kind of leads to yep. some psychological breakdown and can be a factor. Yep. Both David's mother and father had very troubled childhoods of their own. His father was put into foster care when he was 12 and grew up in that system. And his mother, Eva, was, was known to be basically psychotic and narcissistic. A lot of people that knew her basically said that she was a sociopath. So we have some mental disorders already in the, fam like in the family. Right. Okay. According to David's mother... David was troubled from a very young age. She claims that he used to throw toys at his sister's head when he was just two years old. And I think she's not saying just in the way that two-year-olds throw toys, but that he was intentionally trying to hurt somebody at two years old. That's a little, like, harming, like, disheartening and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. She said that she tried to teach him right from wrong, but others always interfered with her parenting attempts. Who hasn't had that one person that's always like, your mother, I get it. I'll call her out on it. I'll call her out on it. When you're trying to discipline a child, oh, it's okay. They don't need, they didn't mean nothing by it. It's okay. Damn it. Let me parent. Well, David's younger brother believes that David was molested as a small child 
which again seems to be another factor in a lot of these cases. So now we have probable molestation, a history of psychosis in the family. So yeah. we're like we're betting An abandonment. Th- abandonment. So we're betting pretty much a thousand on all the con- like all the things that make you a serial killer, right? Or at least a, a sociopath. And his younger brother remembers David being very problematic as a child. He remembers his brother smashing a squirrel with a baseball bat at one point. So now we have harm of small animals. That's four. Like, (laughs) this is not looking good. No. At all. According to David's mother, David tried to drown his younger brother multiple times. Well, that's five for five on the... On the, okay, my child's a sociopath. Right. Um, It certainly seemed to be not a very good start for him. When David was nine years old, his mother sent him to a a mental institution in Chicago, Illinois. Holy shit. Nine. Okay. The single mother and her children were living in Cook County at the time. According to many sources, this particular institution was sort of a dumping ground for unwanted children. Rumor has it that in one instance, um, there was a child that was brought there every summer while his parents vacationed. And then they would come back and get him and his mental illness would be cured. That's so fucked up. Right? Jesus. I mean, this... I, I... I don't know if that's really truly what Eva was doing with David, because honestly, if what she says is true, it sounds like he was right where he needed to be. Yeah, with all with the five aspects that we've heard so far, it sounds like he just need like he maybe needed that more than to be at home. Right. Well, defense attorneys will later say that, like, his mother basically just didn't want him and abandoned him and there was nothing wrong with him and. Blah, 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 blah. They feel like his mother made a lot of things up. But his mother said that she did not dump David, but she needed help with her son who was out of control. And she said, quote, I did love him. I put up with him for a long time, end quote. And what do you expect? She's a single mom with a son that's obviously showing some very troubling signs at this time. Like, where else would she go? Right. You know, besides just completely, like abandoning the child like and saying okay foster families you guys take care of you like you deal with it there's a lot of sources that put a lot of blame on her for abandoning him but i guess as a mother i feel for her because if he was showing all these signs which later like some references especially from the defense team say like she made a lot of this up but i kind of find that hard to believe right Because of what ends up happening. Okay. So. His institutionalization had a profound effect on him. He felt abandoned again. Staff said he would frequently wait by the windows for his mother to visit. And when she would not arrive, he would make excuses for her. He'd tell the staff, well, her back's hurting. She's really busy today. That makes me sad. That does. It sounds like a really like a crappy start to a christmas like a christmas movie right like oh the orphan got abandoned at the at the home and he's the last one picked and always waiting oh she'll be back she'll come and get me i swear my mom's gonna come and get me it's really sad david letter later said quote i never understood why i was put there until now but back then i thought it was for running away from home or for taking something from a store or just being a bad kid end quote when he was 13 david was released from the institution however his mother did not allow him to come home instead he was sent to a children's home at the home another boy propositioned david for sex David said he didn't want to, but he eventually gave in because the boy threatened to tell other kids that David had been in a mental institution. After that, David started dealing with a lot of anger and shame. Yeah, I would say so. Like, I'm, and I want people to, to, 
uh, realize that we're not like siding with the, a murderer at this point. We can, I can feel empathy for a child, like the child, like the background story, right? As a child, mm-hmm. because no kid should ever have to deal with that, right? You know, like that sounds horrible. It really does. Like just because, but like I just want to reemphasize, reemphasize that we're not condoning the behavior, but I can be empathetic to the plight of a child at right. what at this point in time. Well, and you you know when you think back to the 1960s too, like mental health was way more stigmatized. It's still stigmatized, but it was way more stigmatized back then. And so it probably was terrifying for him for people to find out he had been in in a mental institution for four years. Well, yeah, because it was real. Like, were we still lobotomizing at that point in time? Yeah, I'm not sure. Like, but still, like, you got to remember, like, these are people that grew up with mental institutes where, like, you were fucked. Mm -hmm. Like, you were, like, royally screwed in the head being sent to these places. Right. You know, and... The care there wasn't the greatest, and people always, like, turned a blind eye and shit like that, you know? Right. In 1969, when he was 15 years old, David was playing with another kid at the children's home, and he started to strangle the boy. He stopped before the boy was seriously hurt. He said, quote, For no reason at all, I started to choke him. I told him I was sorry, and he said it was okay. That was the first person I hurt, end quote. Yeah, we're dealing with, like, this is a sociopath. Right. Like, at this point, like, I mean, I pretty much had my mind made up with the first five things that I found. Like, but then there was the six, which was the molestation at, a, like, the right. the group home. And now you're just, like, choking people. Right. Like, I, I completely, like, fuck. Right. Like, it just gets worse and worse. And he's only 15. Soon after, there was another incident. This time, he strangled a boy with a rope while they were watching television. And what he later wrote about it in his journal, he said, quote, I could not stop and I had no reason to be doing this to him. I told myself this is enough and I quit and let go of the rope. End quote. He said he felt like he was trapped inside his body while someone else was hurting his friend. Yep, that's all the red flags are flying now. Right? When David was 17, he ran away from his children's home and he returned to his mother's house. She was just a few blocks from the children's home. So when I tell you, like, she never came to visit, she lived a few blocks away and never came to visit. Unfortunately, she did not welcome him with open arms and she basically made him leave by chasing him with a knife. So again, you can wow. look at that in two different ways. You can look at that as like her protecting her family from him or possibly. Maybe she's psycho too. Right. Like maybe she's a psycho, Fuck. but maybe she just knew what he was. She encouraged David to join the military. And so at age 17, he enlisted in the United States army. Okay. After after basic training, he was stationed in Frankfurt, Germany, where he worked as a cook on the army base. He befriended the child of two other Americans living on base, and the child was 13-year-old James Jimmy McClister. He was born on October 27, 1960. According to David, he woke up at one point and found Jimmy lying naked in his bed. David said he didn't remember how he got there, but that he was naked too. And this incident really upset him. And he decided then that he was going to have to kill Jimmy. Jesus. So essentially he molested a 13 year old. Right. And then. When he was 18 and decided he was going to have to kill him now. Right. A month later. David said he was riding a moped with Jimmy and he pulled out a knife. He led Jimmy out into the woods where he tied him to a tree. This is a month later, mind you. It's not like he just snapped. He planned this. Right. David later admitted to beating the boy with his fist and a board. 
He wrote, quote, he was a very good boy and did not deserve what happened to him on that sad night in May, end quote. David said that he was angry at himself for hurting Jimmy, but he knew that he couldn't help him anymore. And so he carried the boy deep into the woods and he said Jimmy died in his arms. David covered him with leaves and left the body in the woods. David later admitted that he decided to kill Jimmy seven months before he actually did it. fuck. Like, damn. Like, if that's not premeditation, then... Yeah. Like, and it's just like... Oh, God. So, you know what he told himself? What? He wanted to kill him, and he promised himself he would kill him. He's like, I'm going to wait until his hair grows out. Holy shit. What the fuck? Yeah, that's a definite what the fuck. Jimmy McClister's body was found a month later on June 25th, 1974. David was immediately suspected of the killing and was arrested. David was court-martialed for the murder of Jimmy, but he had a good defense attorney. His defense attorney claimed that David was innocent and only covered the body out of fear. According to the defense, Jimmy died after crashing the moped and David simply freaked out and hid the body. That's damn good a defense attorney, I guess. Right? I mean... And at this point, he hasn't confessed to it or anything. Right. I mean, he does later, but... Um, the prosecution could not find any witnesses, and apparently the forensics were not really strong. So David Moss was convicted only of manslaughter... And was sentenced to a minimum of three years in Fort, you got to say it. Fort Leavenworth. Thank you. Federal prison. Um, and David was up for parole by 1977. Committed murder in 74, up for parole by 77. But it, I mean, it was man's like they only found him guilty of manslaughter and he only got a three year sentence. So, I mean, he served the three years, two and a half, whatever. I'm not saying it's right. Like, this is fucked up. Well, this is where it gets even more fucked up. So when he comes up for parole in 1977, he actually requested not to be released. He said to the parole board, I cannot control my actions. And upon my release, I can't promise you I won't do something again. God, why wasn't there a mental, like a mental health eval done at that point in time? Or just keep his ass in prison. They can't. Well, he was paroled, so they could have a little bit so longer. Why did, so why didn't he, he admit to murder then? I don't know. You know, like if because I'm sure if he would have admitted to murder, his ass would have been in Leavenworth for the rest of his life. Yeah, I don't know. Um, but David was right. He was paroled in 1977, and he could not control himself. And he was right. He should not have been released. In 1979, just two years later, he was arrested in Chicago for stabbing his friend while his friend slept. Moss was charged with attempted murder. He later admitted that he lied on the stand, and when he was on the stand, he denied stabbing his friend. Apparently, there wasn't enough good evidence because he actually was acquitted of that. Jeez. How was there not enough evidence that he stabbed somebody? (laughs) The friend's got stab marks. I guess to directly link him, I'm not really sure. I don't so know. So in two years after he gets released from the, his first murder, he gets acquitted of his attempted murder, second attempted. Two years later in 1981, David decided to kill the man that he that had molested him when they were both children at the children's home, except he couldn't find this man. He didn't know where he was. And so he decided to find somebody else to sort of act out his fantasy of killing this guy on. David lured 15-year-old Donald Jones into his car. He drove the car out to a quarry in Elgin, Illinois. Then he stabbed Donald. He later said, quote, I can still hear Donald Jones saying to me, I am only 15 years old. Please don't kill me, end quote. After stabbing Donald, David drowned him in the quarry. What the fuck? This is some fucked up shit. Like, this is some, like, goosebump kind of level shit. Yeah. 
So immediately after he kills Donald Jones, he takes off for Texas. While in, in Galveston, Texas, David stabbed another teenage boy in a hotel room. <laughs> Fuck. Right? He was convicted of that crime, but that boy did not die. Um, but he was convicted, and so he was incarcerated in Texas. And while he was incarcerated, he made incriminating statements about his involvement in the Donald Jones murder. So it seemed like, you know, Illinois police had not even linked him to this murder. Right. But he opens his mouth while he's in jail. It seems like a man that wanted to admit to everything. Right. Like he wanted to admit, like he wanted to be found out just so he could go to jail. Right. In 1983. He was done serving his sentence for the stabbing in Texas. Figure that out. And David was extradited back to Illinois to stand trial for the murder of Donald Jones. He wrote a letter to the prosecution stating, quote, I have been thinking about Donald Jones a lot and what I did to him that Sunday in August. And I have been thinking about the bad things I did in my life. And now I would like the death sentence. I would like to die, end quote. Like, how do you not be like, okay. Right? <laughs> you know? So, I mean, he's telling you he wants the death sentence. He committed this murder. He wants the death sentence. But David Moss was found unfit to stand trial. Um, and this was due to mental capacity. And so he was placed in the care of the Illinois Department of Health and Human Services. And he was institutionalized for the criminally insane. Which, okay, we're finally in a place where you belong. Right. In 1985, he was reevaluated once again and once again was found unfit. Good. In 1987, he attempted to escape the medium security institution where he was housed. As a result, he was transferred to Chester Mental Health Center in Chester, Illinois. This facility provided increased security. David's defense later filed motions claiming that the staff at his original institution assisted him in an, in, a, in an escape attempt, basically told him where to go and when to do it, oh. basically as like they were setting him up because they wanted to have him transferred. Right. Is what the defense later said. David Moss remained in the custody of the state for 11 years before he was finally found Fit, uh, fit to stand trial in 1994. David pled guilty to first degree murder. He was sentenced to 35 years in prison with credit for time served while awaiting trial. So this whole time that he was institutionalized, that count, you know, he got credit for got that. It. David Moss became eligible for parole just five years later in 1999. Jeez. Come on, guys. Yeah. Like, come on. Once again, David asked the Illinois Department of Corrections not to release him. He actually wrote a five-page letter to the parole board asking not to be paroled. He said he did not believe he was safe to be paroled. The prosecutor agreed and asked that he be kept in custody or civilly committed. An Illinois Department of Corrections spokesperson said, however... Quote, he did not meet criteria to be placed in any other kind of facility, end quote. And they released David Moss on parole in 1999. What fucking criteria is he, like, does he not meet? Like, holy hell. Like, I mean, he's, what, killed one person? Sorry, manslaughtered in Germany and was sentenced to that, which we can kind of, okay... Like, let's draw some lines. Like, let's connect some dots, guys. He probably killed that kid. Right. Killed another one. Was arraigned, like, because he stabbed a friend. And then he tried killing another kid. But there's no place that we can put him. He He's fine. He is a good, he's a good candidate to return to society. Oh, wait. He's even written a five fucking page letter that says, I'm going to kill again, pretty much. Yeah. Like, you let me out, someone's going to die. Duh, 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 duh. Like, what kind of song and dance do I have to do for you fuckers to put me away in jail forever? Because I don't trust myself. Like, when do... Holy shit. Okay. Yeah. Like, he actually wanted the death penalty because he knew that he should not be free. 
David later said, quote, when I got locked up in the army and then especially when I got locked up in 1981, I knew I should never be let out again. I didn't know how to act around other people and I was never taught how to make friends and keep them. When an inmate says he doesn't want out, I hope that somebody listens. And somebody quote. did listen. The prosecutor's like, I agree with you. Like the prosecutor, the people that are like, yeah, like, no, this he's not a good, like, not a good candidate for shit about fuck. Right. But like all of the Department of Corrections, like, oh, no, he's fine. We don't have any other place to put him. Really? Really? You couldn't put him in one, like one of the thousand jail cells you had or keep him back in Chester, like the mental health facility. Like, couldn't do that, though. But God forbid, like, oh, it's infuriating, right? Like, how often do you hear a serial killer saying, don't let me out? And this is like multiple times now that he has said, don't let me out. Now, you want to hear what's even more fucked up? In 2001, while on supervised parole, David hit an acquaintance six times in the back of the head with a metal pipe. Despite being on parole, he was not charged or arrested. How? Then what's the point of having like the parole restrictions? Well, apparently the victim declined to press charges. That doesn't. I'm sorry. You severely beat somebody in the back of the head with a pipe. The, pff, I don't give a shit if you're pressing charges or like fuck. We can get people on domestic battery because oh, like because I like circumstance. That's like shit. I'm sorry. You got hit in the back of the head six times. I don't give a shit. He's a known fucking murderer. I don't give a shit. Right. Like, I do not give a shit at this point. You're going to jail. Do not pass go. Do not collect $100. Fucking no get out of jail free card for you. You want you want to stay in fucking locked up for the rest of your life? Go right ahead. He is, right. one, t- he, he is one person that I would gladly pay my own personal money to fucking keep in jail for the rest of his fucking life because he says, I can't do it and I'm going to hurt people. Right. And then it makes you go back and wonder... Did his mother just know who he was? Or did she make all this shit up and turn him into a monster? I don't know, but I'm thinking but she part might. part of me is like, maybe she just knew. Maybe she knew. Maybe she was dealing with these kind of tendencies, too. Possibly. As far as I know, she never killed anybody, though. Well, I know, but like maybe she had the thoughts in her head. And then the compounding fucking putting the kid into fucking like a a group home and then a mental institution and the dad leaving and nobody fucking being around and the mom chasing you away with a knife. Maybe that finally made the, maybe that made the psychosis just a little bit worse. Right. Like this is one time I wish we had like the YouTube video yeah. so people could see like the, cause I keep doing things I with mean, my hands. I mean, it's like a nature versus nurture from hell. Oh, this is both. both of them are awful. He got fucked by nature and he got doubly fucked by nurture. Right. Like, no, like, and once again, I'm not saying I, like, I don't, (laughs) I don't have much empathy for him because, like, on this side of it, but, like, you got fucked. Like, you got fucked with the psychosis and all that shit, and like I said, all of the other (laughs) 29 other things that fucking happened to you over the course of your life that has totally fucked your head to the point where you're like, I I can't be trusted, guys. I don't want to be here. I don't want to be here no more. I don't want... Like, he when you're calling... He asked for for the the death death penalty. penalty. No, no, we're just going to rehabilitate. We can can make you strong. Like, he's not the million-dollar man. (laughs) We don't have the technology to make that kind of person stronger, better, faster, whatever. Like, all we did was just kept kind of just, like, pushing him along. And pushing him along. And, oh, hey, you don't fit in here? Go to the next one. Go to the next one. Maybe it'll get better next time. Oh, you don't think you should be out? I don't have no place to fucking put you. Oh, sorry. Mm. Here, just be on your fucking own. Oh, you hit your friend in the head fucking six times with a goddamn metal pipe? Huh? Oh, we really don't have no place to put you. And you're still on parole. But you fucking god. Fuck parole fucking violations and shit. Cause it was God's... just a misunderstanding. Yeah, it was just... <laughs> I, misunder- I misunderstood six times with the pole to the back of your head. Right, exactly. Anyway. And so then, unbelievably, his supervised parole ends in 2002. Like, I'm sorry, if you commit murder, I don't think you should ever be off supervised parole. No, not at all. Um, but he was off parole, like, 
a couple of years after he gets released. At which time he moved to Hammond, Indiana. He rented an apartment and began working at Trophies R Us. And that is the right spelling. I thought it was supposed to be like Toys R Us. But no, nope, right. that's how they spelled it. Okay. He lived in relatively anonymity. Like nobody really knew in this community like who he was and what his history was. I have some questions, like qualms with that. Like, I mean, obviously he hit child crime. Shouldn't there be some kind of predator list that he should be on? Well, we're going to talk about that later. Okay. On May 2nd, 2003, 19-year-old Nick James disappeared. Nick worked with David at Trophies R Us. Originally, he was considered to be a runaway. I mean, he's 19, so is it really a runaway if you're 19? But there wasn't really a strong effort to find him. Like, police just kind of assumed, you know, he was 19 and he ran off and, like, it is what it is. Right. It is what it is. Like, you're officially an adult. You can do adult shit. Right. On September 10th, 2003, 13-year-old Michael Dennis Jr. and 16-year-old James Regani disappeared from Hammond, Indiana. The boys left notes for their mothers stating they were running away. Despite the notes, though, the parents, the boys' parents really didn't believe their sons had disappeared. Not on their own accord, anyway. They had been hanging out with an adult male in Hammond recently, and police ran the name of this adult friend through their system and found that David Moss had been a twice convicted murderer of young boys. So, like, they're letting their kids hang out with this guy. They have no idea about his history. What, like... There's no kind. There's no list. Uh, there's no list. We're gonna talk about that. Like there's at like, this point, there was not. Okay. Um, and even it seems like even the police in the area didn't really know about his history until he became like a person of interest in the disappearance. Detectives were not sure if the boys were gone or, um, you know. Was David just, like, helping them or providing them aid? They weren't sure what had happened. You know, it was too soon for them to believe that they had been murdered. They just weren't sure. They questioned him, but David denied having any knowledge of the boys' disappearances. He did admit that he gave them money, however, and he said he was friends with the boys. He often played video games with him at his apartment. After questioning David multiple times, David's stories started to contradict each other. This gave probable cause for a search warrant of his apartment. And in the basement of the building, police found freshly poured concrete. On December 5th, 2003, police began excavating the basement. On December 9th, two bodies were found beneath the concrete. The next day, a third body was found. The bodies were positively identified as Michael Dennis, James Regani, and Nick James. On December 11th, 2003, the state of Indiana charged David Moss with murder. Once again, David Moss asked for the death penalty. Like, he knew who he was. You know, most serial killers aren't right. really remorseful. They don't really care. He seemed kind of remorseful, at least enough to know that he would do this again. Right. You know, and he knew what he deserved. He had strangled the three boys before burying them in the basement and covering them with concrete. He was getting better at his craft and he knew he shouldn't be free again. He knew he was getting better at hiding these things. I mean, yeah, he got caught, but this time he got to kill three before he got caught. Right. You know, and he did not want to be free. He didn't think that he had the right to live. In November of 2005, David Moss pled guilty to three counts of murder and received three consecutive life sentences without the possibility of parole. He was sent to the Indiana Department of Corrections, where he agreed to serve his sentence in segregation. So, this is kind of what I'm piecing together. Like, it seems like he wants the death penalty, and it seems like his defense attorneys 
sort of argue on his behalf, which they're supposed to. But they basically end up getting him lighter sentences that he doesn't even want. Right. Like this month, like he is asking, like, fucking kill me. Let me ride the lightning or fill me with juice. One of the two. I don't deserve to live. I like, I want to die. I am like, I, this is what's like, if I have a chance of being out, this is going to happen. And you know, three murders later and we're still not death penalty. We're life. Right. At least it's life without parole. Right. But I think David had just like had enough. So a month after his sentencing in January of 2006, David Moss hung himself in his prison cell. So you kill five young boys Asked for the death penalty three different times. And finally, you got to take matters into your own hands. Right. Like, that's kind of fucked up. He was transferred to the hospital where he was diagnosed with a neck fracture and significant brain damage. He was removed from life support and died on January 20th, 2006. He was 51 years old. David left a suicide note in which he said he was remorseful for his crimes he wrote, quote, life in prison is not what the parents wanted and the Indiana taxpayer does not want to pay the bill. The families wanted me to receive the death sentence and so do families and parents across America. Dying is not my first choice, but it is the right thing to do. End quote. Like, what the fuck? Like, this is a man. Like, oh, God. Like, he knew. Like, like he was remorseful. Like, I hate saying that because we're talking about somebody that take that has taken the life of five kids. Right. You know, he was remorseful. He knew what he was. Like you said, mm-hmm. he knew he was a murderer. He knew that he couldn't control himself. He knew that if he had like an, oh my God, I blame. There's so many fucking people to blame in this one. Right. It's just insane to me that. Well, it's kind of like the the death penalty, you know, people that are on death row that are wanting to be executed and all these other people file appeals on their behalf and shit. Like if somebody wants to to get the sentence that they right. were given, like why are we interfering, you right. know? Why are we why are we fucking with that? Like if they want to die, then let them die. It's like he said life in prison is not what the families wanted. Right. You know damn well, like, if you were that parent, oh, I want to watch you burn. Mm-hmm. I want to watch you fry. Or, like, I want to watch, like, I want to see, like, I want my pound of flesh. You know? And it's not going to be extracted over a lifetime of you just sitting and riding in it. In segregation. In segregation. Like, especially when he says, I want it. Right. Like, that's the thing that doesn't, like, he's he has stated numerous times in numerous different cases I want the death penalty for myself. I will agree to all the terms. I did it. Let me like fucking fry me. Mm-hmm. And they're like, oh no, 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 no. You just get, you get life without the possibility of parole. And not to mention like twice now he said, don't parole me. They've paroled him. And he at went least, out and killed people. Right. And at least this time he wasn't going to get parole. But I don't think that he killed himself because he was going to spend the rest of his life in prison. I think he killed himself because that's he, what he that's what didn't he even trust the damn system to right. keep him locked up right. anymore. And I, th- I partially think that he thinks that he felt that that's what he deserved. Yeah, I think so, too. He's one of the few remorseful serial killers you ever right. hear. Following the Hammond murders, Indiana enacted new legislation that requires murderers to register on a violent offender registry similar to a sex offender registry. Illinois now also has a similar registry. In theory, had the public knew of David Moss' history and background, perhaps these parents would have intervened and not allowed their children to socialize with this man. Which I have to say, I don't know that I'm letting a 13 and 16 year old boy hang out with an adult man anyway, right. regardless of his like, background. I mean, unless it's like an uncle or a cousin, right? Like family, like it's yeah, kind of random. Like you're going over to this random dude's apartment, right? Kind of weird. Oh, but I work with him. I don't care. Yeah, David Moss is different than most serial killers in that he expressed remorse and many people believe that he genuinely was remorseful. 
but he was unable to overcome his compulsions and he made attempts to cover his crimes. And so, you know, some people say he wasn't as remorseful as you might think because, you know, he was trying to cover it and blah, 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 blah. David in his journals described having like almost a split personality sort of like him. He knew it was wrong. He didn't want to do it. But this other person inside of him did. And this is the person well, that would also tell him, like, don't admit to it. Shut up. Say this. Well, like, let's look back at the like what the second kid that he tried to strangle. Right. When he was in the home. Mm hmm. Like, he even said that it didn't feel like myself. It was like I was watching it through my eyes. Yeah. You know? Like, that's some dissociation. Like, that's a dissociative disorder if I've ever fucking heard it. Right. Like, with some schizophrenia on top of it. And, like... Yeah, it's fucked up. His mother and brother have told various media outlets that he was born evil and pushed away from the family in order to protect themselves. There's a lot of people that kind of say that that's bullshit, including Moss' defense attorney. I'm one of them. I'm sorry. Was he dealt a shitty hand by his genetics? Yes. Was he dealt an even bigger shitty hand by the fact that you have a mother that abandoned him, a father that abandoned him? Yes. Right. Like, there, I'm sorry, the whole, like you said, the whole nature versus nurture, you got fucked on both ends. Well, like, his defense attorney, even after his death, still firmly believes that David's mother, her own mental illness, caused David to become the monster that he was. Um, And they theorize that she made up these stories about these things that he allegedly did as a child, like trying to drown his brother and stuff so that she could justify her abandonment. But I don't know if I believe that completely either, because while he's there, he's like strangling his friends and shit. So like, obviously he had something in him. Right. I don't, I, I, (laughs) I believe that maybe she wasn't the best mother but right. I don't know if I can get on board with like he was an innocent child and no. had she never done this, he would have been fine. No. I think he probably was born evil. I, I, I think uh, nurture made I, him worse. But. I completely like am in the camp that it's it's both. Like you can't have you can't no. This man was like like hell incarnate. And in the 1960s, I mean, what help did she have? Like today, if if we have a troubled kid or, you know, mental illness or whatever, like we're taking them to doctors and shit like that. What did she have to do in the 1960s? Right. He was evil. She probably didn't feel like she had any choice. Right. No, I agree with that. I I, I completely agree with that. So I, I just don't know. But apparently, like. After the Hammond murders, his younger brother tried to get a book deal and a movie deal and all this kind of stuff. And um, David himself would say, like, you know, my brother doesn't even know me. I didn't grow up with him because, you know, he was abandoned. And, um, you know, he's like, he's just trying to monopolize on everything. That's so fucked up. Yeah. So I don't know. It seems like there's a lot of messed up things. This whole story is messed up from the moment of birth to the moment he committed suicide. Right. Like, there are so many fucking twists and turns that could have, I'm not saying could have changed him. He knew who he was. Like, he knew what he was capable of if he was left alone out in society. Right. The twists and turns are fucking people not listening to him. Right. Like, we... Like I for the Patreon members still know, like we just had this in our Patreon episode like about the mental health and shit like that and like if the mental health people would have fucking listened for two seconds and been like hey I can't like I'm a danger to my to society yep like I don't care what you like what I'm saying now like this is like I am a danger to society please do not let me go if somebody would have listened to him and been like yeah especially fucking like. In 70, like, the uh, army guys, mm-hmm. eh, whatever, like, they ruled it as a manslaughter, and eh, he he got away with that, like, 
away with murder on that one. Yeah. But the state of Illinois being like, we don't have any place to put you. Like, we, you don't fit into our, like, into, like, then make a fucking new category of fucking crazy fucking, like, psychopath, sociopath, fucking whatever the hell, and <laughs> ramrod him into that fucking specific little, <laughs> like, his yeah. own little category, and be like, okay, you're going to someplace. I don't know where, but someplace. Could have saved three lives. Like, I understand that, oh, you can't imprison somebody you know, and shit like that without due cause. and Like, motherfucker, he's asking. Like, he's begging. Fucking don't let me go. Yeah. And I'm not sympathizing with him. And it's fucking, this is tearing my heart because I, I don't know. want, I don't want to sympathize with the fucking murderer. And, but yet, like. I don't his, sympathize with him, but. If his pleas were I heard. I think that if people just listen to the person telling you that if you let me out, I'm going to go kill again. And then not only once, but twice, like he said at one time, Hey, you let me out. People are going to die. Guess what? More people died. Yeah. Oh, Hey, guess what? Don't let me out. Cause people are going to die. Guess what? You let him out. More people died. Like, uh, and the, like, and the fact, like, like I still can't get it through my brain, how he didn't go back to prison or anything when he assaulted his fucking friend with the pipe. Like, are we shit? Like, are we seriously that like convoluted to think that like parole violations don't fucking mean a goddamn thing, especially with when it's a known murderer. Like at this point he was a mur Like he was a murderer. Yep. He, he has served time and he's done. Like he's got the convictions to prove it, that he is a murderer, but yet we let him go because he because he happened to not kill his friend that time, right? And his friend's like, "Oh no, he he what he he didn't mean it, dude. He hit you in the head with like a pipe six times, right? Like there was intent there, exactly. Like he didn't I, slip and fall, right? It's like it just pisses me off that we have all these rules and regulations and shit in place, but then we don't follow them, and then." Innocent people die because because they weren't followed. Right. Like, if he would have, like, I'm sure there was some kind of, oh, you go back to jail, directly to jail, kind of shit with those. Yeah. But because his friend didn't press charges and the cops are like, oh, it's okay. Oh, he didn't mean it. Or whatever. Like, I don't know what the how that case went. But people are like, oh, it's, it's okay. It's fine. Yeah. I'm, I'm just a little fucked up in the head. You know, I got a little bump and bruise. and It's little... crazy. And, you know, regardless of what you think caused David to become a monster, that's exactly what he became. He became a monster. He couldn't control his compulsions, and he knew he was a danger to society. And so it just makes you wonder, like, if the federal authorities listened to him in 1977 or the state of Illinois in 1999, three lives could have been saved. And, you know, I have to say, like, I hate this because you don't ever want to say you agree with a serial killer. But I do. When an inmate says they don't want out, our government should be listening to that. Right. How many times have, like, I'm still fucking fuming. I'm sorry. Like, how many times have we fucking talked about, oh, like, if their sentence, if they weren't paroled at this point in time, maybe it would have saved lives. Right. You know, that we've had numerous, numerous cases like that. Right. And here we have a case where the guy has said, I'm going to kill again if I'm let out. Please don't let me out. Yeah. And they fucking let him out. Five page letter. Like, right. how does that right. happen? It's not, it's not even like it's a little fucking like, like note scribbled on a fucking like post-it note. This motherfucker wrote five pages worth of shit explaining to him like, Dear Lord, don't let me out. I'm gonna kill again. I can't. I I can't control my compulsions, and shit like that. And once it, like this is kind of like, this is gonna go back to what I was saying when we were recording the Patreon thing about mental health shit in fucking prisons. Like, who's the fucking psychiatrist that said, "Oh yeah, he's fucking fit." Right. He's fucking fit to do all this shit. He can. Oh, he yeah. He's gonna be a great member of society. We fucking rehabilitated him. Yay us. Motherfucker, no, you didn't. This motherfucker's writing letters like, don't. Uh, no, I'm not rehabilitated. Uh, the, my hands are made for killing. That's what they're going to do. Exactly. Like, you let me out, I'm going to kill another one or two. I was trying to 
rhyme it to let like boots or maybe whatever <laughs> i got you but you know like it's just like we really need to talk about how mental health is like <clears throat> mental health is done in our prison systems like yes it's one to rehabilitate like to say they're quote unquote rehabilitated right but it's another to actually rehabilitate them and I know it costs money, but damn it, like, how many freaking, pri- like, repeat offenders and shit like that does is it, is it going to take before we start taking this kind of shit serious? I'm done. Or just keep him locked. Like, I just, I don't understand it. I don't understand why they let him out. And I thought in order to get granted parole, you had to show remorse for your crime and that you had to, like, be able to tell the parole board what you learned and how you weren't going to do it again. So how the hell... Did somebody who wrote a five-page letter about how he would kill again still get paroled? It blows my mind. It, 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 you are exactly right. Like, it, it boggles my mind, and I couldn't imagine in a thousand years that, like, a killer that says, I'm going to kill again would be released from prison. Right. Like, that's the, like, out of all the things I'm taking away, like, this, this whole case is fucked up. And I'm sorry I'm cussing so much, guys. Apologize. But there's just so many, there's so many fucking little in, like, little in. It's just insane. Like, the intricate details of each thing. And it's just like, holy shit, who let him, who, like, why did we continue to let him out? Why? When the motherfucker was begging to be kept in prison. And if I was Donald Jones' family, I'd be pissed. So this guy gets arrested for killing your son in 81. Sits in there until 1994 in a psych ward because he can't stand trial. Finally gets convicted in 1994 and they let his ass out in 99. Right. Which I get he got credit for time served. But, but that's still, only like, what, 11, 12 years? It was 11 years. So he did a total, um, well, it was 13 years. So he did a total of like 17, 18 years for that murder. But I guess, like, when he was in prison, he never really got in a whole lot of trouble and stuff. He was your, quote, model prisoner. And it wasn't because he was cunning and a sociopath. I think it's because he liked the structure. (laughs) He was, quote, unquote, a model prisoner that kept on begging to keep me in fucking prison. I think he knew he did good in prison and he was controlled in prison. And, you know. I agree with you on that. You know, I don't think it was a he was a model prisoner so he could fool people. I don't think that was right. it at all. I think he strived on the institutional like, yeah, institu- structure. Right. Anyway, if you guys want any information or any more details, go ahead and head over to the midwestcrimefiles.com. You guys can go ahead and look at their most recent blog post. It's going to be this one at the very bottom of it are all the references that Gina uses for this story. If you have questions or comments or anything, please send us a message through the website. You can reach us on Facebook. Uh, yeah. And Patreons, you have a Patreon-exclusive episode if you haven't seen it already. Yeah, so go ahead and listen to that. Be on the lookout. Chris made a TikTok page. Oh, boy. And I'm thinking that maybe we do, like, little 60-second rundowns of each of the stories. If you guys think that's something you guys would like, let us know in the comments. But anyways, guys, that is our story for this week. We will talk to you guys later. We love you. Bye. Bye.